Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about their experiences with stillbirth that have left them at a total loss for words. It is through our stories that we hope to give you support, motivation, friendship, and maybe a laugh or two. But most importantly, we hope to give you light in the darkest moments of your life. I'm Catherine, a lost mom to my beautiful son Brody, who was born still at 36 weeks on January 18, 2022. While trying to survive the sadness and find answers as to why he died, I found this community of incredible women willing to share their journey, experiences, and sometimes margaritas so that I didn't feel alone. They helped me survive, and I hope we can do the same for you. So grab some wine and some tissues as we navigate this awful world of stillbirths that has left us all at a total loss. I want to thank you so much for, for willing to have this conversation. Of course. Um, your account was one of the first ones that I stumbled upon um, in my search for anything right after Brody died. So Brody died in January and probably around like two weeks out, I was just scrambling. I'm like, I need to make sense of this. I need to connect with people who get it. And I came across your page and it was just so incredible that you were so open and so vocal. And I just was like, I, I hope one day to be able to function and have hope that I can carry this grief. I can carry this sadness and pain, but do it in a way that would honor Brody. And I appreciated how vocal you were and how open you were in your, in your, your journey. So I was so excited when you said you wanted to talk. I know it's probably the worst circumstances that anybody could ever connect in, but the fact that we all have each other here, um, has made this, has made this feel like you're not so alone in this journey. So I want to start off and just say, you know, I want to hear your story. I want to hear wherever you want to start it from. Well, before I even dive into that, I just want to say thank you for that because, um, hearing that, uh, that I connected with one individual was the main reason why I started Stillbirth Mama fighting for light, just this page and really trying to own my, process of being an unapologetic mother to living in dead kids. Um, And you touched on a really big part of like trying to find sense of this. And I don't think we ever will find sense or understanding of, of, you know, the why, right? There's, there's none, there's no reason why our kids should die. And I think being, um, just holding space for for you and i do want to recognize your um tremendous efforts to being able to put together this safe space in honor of brody and not even a full year since his death is phenomenal it's 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 beyond me there's so many of us that we grieve so differently but this is just phenomenal. So I just wanted to kind of root and, and start off with that because I want to just be make sure that I'm your hype girl, giving you the oh. time to get a hype on a Monday. <laughs> Thank you. Of a gre- another grieving week, you know. Um, it's just, it's phenomenal. So thank you so much. And um, I uh, want to just raise my my TJ coffee up to you and give you <laughs> cheers to cheers. you you and Brody because um, it's phenomenal what you're doing. Thank so, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so, I didn't know what to do with all this. I didn't know what yeah. to do with this. And, and I, my outlet was just conversations. That's the yeah. only thing that I know how to do is have them. And I was hoping that, you know, the conversations that I've had over the last six months, just about nothing even, just about anything, but knowing that it's coming from a space that they understand as a lost mom or an angel mom or somebody whose baby has passed. And it's it's... I was hoping that maybe somebody who just doesn't know what to do can just listen to them and maybe pick yeah. up anything that they didn't even know they were looking for. So yeah. that's really what this space is, is just the platform yeah. for the moms to tell their stories that they don't really get to tell that much, especially no. after a certain amount of time. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, whether it's been a month, whether it's been six months, a year, two years, five, 10, 20, 30, you're always going to be a parent to your child, right? And then the the way that you're able to share them shifts also based on 
you know, on, on the daily, like the, the environment that you're in. Usually like for me, it's, it's been like five years out. And, so, and I, uh, you heard me mentioned my type of grief is like unapologetic. I no longer will, what I refer to as like water myself down to make others comfortable. So that makes a lot of uncomfortable <laughs> conversations, but I don't care because I live in discomfort. So I'm not going to, you know, water myself down, but, you know, to, to, to really just kind of root us in like where I'm at here now, five years, um, since TJ died, um, TJ was my second child or is my second child. Um, my first son and it was a perfect pregnancy until it wasn't until i went into unexpected labor at 36 and a half weeks pregnant may 31st uh, may 29th uh, 2017 and um heard the horrific words that so many of us have experienced of you know i'm sorry there is no heartbeat when i was in labor and delivery um and those words there's there's no words for that <laughs> there, there there's no words there's no way that can sum up that moment in time and the magnitude of it um at the time i was not aware what stillbirth was i was not aware even to take a, a few step back like we didn't even know like my my mind was what do you mean I still have to have birth, right? Mm -hmm. So even like the basic aspects of that. And so I, I just want to highlight that because it's through the work that you're doing through the work that, you know, me and a handful of other um, birthing partners are, 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 are highlighting. Can we hopefully better prepare the birthing partner that's going through the same thing today, right? In the hospital right now, unfortunately at 10 15 on a monday hearing that they have their their child is dead so what do you do next mm -hmm. what do you do next and so um to kind of speed some things forward i'm i'm latina and um five years ago i didn't see anyone like me i didn't um i felt so alone and um automatically i i told myself i needed to create a, a separate space for just myself, where I did not have to sugarcoat what I was feeling, whether it was my mom stumbling upon my Instagram page or my sister or my friend, my friends at that time, um, or my coworkers. Um, so that's really kind of the evolution of, of how I broke away and had my own Instagram page called Stillbirth Mama Fighting for Light. And I have navigated in what um or it's evolved in in regards to what certain themes I, I i tend to share with uh share about with the community um just based on my bandwidth at that given time um this is it's a it's life work being a parent to um, a child that's dead it's life work to work on yourself and to hold it every single day um for me and because i do want to preface it I, I can't speak for everyone because everyone has their different bandwidths and they do a, a lot to process but for me it it is life work and i don't refer it to healing because i will never be healed for me personally um there will always be in every single thing that i do a big gaping hole with um with him missing but um with that i really try and and gear that energy of sadness to advocacy and i know that a, a few of the the um guests that you've had have shared their children and what they've done to somewhat like parent them through advocacy and that's you know some of us that have the bandwidth are able to do that and um that's where i have channeled my um efforts to really trying to be as loud as i possibly can unapologetically to demand change um and awareness for preventable stillbirth so right after tj's death what how long between you started feeling this what what was what did the days look like for you immediately following and then when did you kind of spring up and say something's got to change you had the bandwidth for it what did that look like so um i really didn't have the option to i had um 
TJ's sister was, um, it, at the time was 14 months older than, um, than he was. And so, you know, automatic, my entire family, I should have mentioned this. My entire family is from California. I'm from California, but I've been in New York for 12 years. So I consider myself a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so fortunately my mom was able to fly, um, when I was in birth in labor, um, so that she was able to support us. So I did have my mom when, um, present when my, my, um, when TJ died, but you know, the, the first, the first, you know, upon leaving the hospital, I have my little bag. Cause that's what I was given. I wasn't given a, a beautiful box, but it was a little bag, um, came home and, um, went straight to my room. I didn't really want to do anything or say anything. And those, that was somewhat of how the days were, um, the early days. I didn't really want to get out. Um, but I had to get up because of my eldest. I had to give her a hug and acknowledge her and um, process through immediately. Um, Her brother wasn't there. So she was used to giving my belly kisses and saying, hi, TJ, given that she was so young, just hi, TJ. Um, or TJ, TJ. And um, so immediately needing to process, you know, he's, he's no longer in mommy's belly. And then where is he? Oh, he's, you know, so as, as gently as you can for that young of an age. So um, the early days I was, I was fortunate enough, very privileged uh, um, to be able to take a full 16 weeks off at work. So during those 16 weeks, um, they were really hard. My mom stayed for a few weeks and then it was back to the somewhat of me navigating through what life looked like, um, supporting just my eldest now. And so, um, the days were really heavy and, um, kind of the evolution of my TJ coffees have kind of come to life because of the first few days, I, I've always had a relationship with coffee and I always allowed myself like one cup of coffee, like a big Starbucks coffee um, when I was pregnant um, with TJ. And um, one of the days when um, my mom wasn't around, my my husband actually brought um, coffee to my bedroom and he said, you know, and I didn't want to get up. He's like, come on, it's time to get up. He's so he brought the coffee and he said, you know what, when you're ready, here's your coffee. And so I was in my bed and in New York, um, as you can imagine, it's loud. Typically, I'm actually surprised we don't hear anything right now. But, you know, I would our our window, our bedroom door faced the um, the street. So it would typically you would hear like the noise from the street. And I remember that moment just sitting in bed, hearing the street noise outside and then just holding on to what my husband said, when you're ready, get Mm -hmm. this coffee. So for me, it was the automatic, okay, the world is still moving, even though my life is completely, completely altered. I need to get up for him, with him. And this is, I'm gonna reclaim our coffee moments that we used to have, these beautiful moments of my morning and being excited. And so that's kind of how it's evolved to every single morning. I have what I refer to as my TJ coffee. I have, um, I, I try and be intentional and just use that as time for just like me and him or to think that like just to feel just rooted in memories of him. Um, so that's kind of like my TJ coffee story. But um, no, I, I love that. I love that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it took some time. I connected with um, a few local groups, but mostly the 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 most powerful group that I connected with was Return to Zero Hope um, with Kylie Hanish. Um, Her son Norbert at the time died 12 years uh, previous, wait, 12, about 13 years before TJ died. And so when I was in the hospital, I would start researching Stillbirth and stumbled upon her because she had um, put together a return to zero um, video highlighting her story, both her and her husband. And so within that first, um, it was probably about like four to four to five months in, I connected with her and um, was able to um, 
uh, attend one of her retreats. Mm -hmm. And that was really transformational for me to navigate through this crazy world of how do you parent um, dead and living kids and just kind of reconnect with yourself and with your child. Um, And that was really like, I wouldn't, I don't like to refer things as like a turning point, but my moment of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use my voice unapologetically. I'm going to talk about my connection with my, my dead son, even though people don't realize what the hell that means. Right. Right. Um, And so that was kind of the beginning of it all. How did you, what was the reaction like? I'm sorry. What was that? What was the connection? I mean, what was the reaction like from people maybe that you were close with or well, friends or family or, I mean, I'm sure everyone, some people were uncomfortable, but you didn't care. Yeah. So. You know, sadly, the reality for many is um, relationships will completely be transformed mm-hmm. after or through because it's not after when your child dies, it's completely, it completely changes everything. So mm-hmm. for me, that meant my relationships with my family have really transitioned, but I, I, I have really gone through the, the mindset of, I, I can't worry about their opinions mm-hmm. of how I'm parenting, about how I'm living. Mm-hmm. People are going to make assumptions. People are going to, um, gaslight you, you know, people are going to tell you, you should do this. You should do that. But at the end of the day, the number one person that you have to honor is yourself and your child. Absolutely. So to be a little bit more transparent, my, my, my relationships with my family and with my friends, there's some people I don't talk to any longer. That's so interesting. You said the word gaslight. I mean, it actually is a thing. It's it's mm-hmm. almost like they blame you for why they are behaving a yeah. certain way and mm-hmm. blaming your actions as to why they are acting mm-hmm. like they shouldn't be acting. And I think that has been the wildest thing I've experienced from people and their behaviors oh, yeah. was trying it's to really make sad, me right? feel like I'm doing this wrong and there's oh, yeah. no right or wrong way. So it's really interesting you said that. I'm sorry to hear that that happened. And that's not something they tell you when you lose your child that, oh, hey, by the way, you're going to lose really, really close relationships that you did not have any idea were going to go. No, Catherine, like they really don't like it's. And that's why I find it so important. I'm just beginning to talk a little bit more so about from a family perspective, because Mm -hmm. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought my family would kind of pan out the way that things work, my extended family. Yeah. But you can't, I can't, my phrase again, water myself, my grief, my reality down for other people. And I will not be, I will be unapologetic about the way I'm living my life. I live hell, right? It's not like it's done after a year of, of grieving. I'm living hell, the reality of it is is it beautiful sometimes yeah of course it is um but this is hell <laughs> you know yeah so that's around i'm not going to sugarcoat that yeah you know? so really is so yeah. did did you find that some other really incredible relationships came through and came forward yeah and i'm so glad that you brought that up so i you know i think that it's it's never my wildest dreams did i imagine that i would be grieving on social media, Mm. that I would have relationships that would be closer than my family, then closer, closer um, than people that were my best friends previous to his death. Um, I never would have imagined it. I've connected with so many beautiful people that it's horrific that we have this commonality, but um, you can be a little griefy dark humor too and like i mean i saw one of your posts i think it was a shared story or something like that i'm like yep that makes sense (laughs) you know it's like some some people have such a there's so many of us unfortunately right Mm -hmm. horrifically because it's not unfortunate horrifically even though we have this commonality not all of us have the same values Mm -hmm. or the same process Mm -hmm. or the same griefing mechanisms or anything like that. So 
long story short for me my lane is to be unapologetic and then to also have dark grief humor and so that's why i um really am just so appreciative of people that give me the space um to do that so like i could have just you know an awful day and and i'll look at my inbox and i have like 20 different memes or something like that so this is a note to you. Please send, send me memes if you find them, because I think it's hysterical. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it's just it's a uh, long story short. It's I've I've had connections with people I never would have um, connected with if my son didn't die. Um, but then also through that, um, through some of my advocacy work that I'm doing with uh, push for empowered pregnancy, um, I have met people from all over the place as well as you know um from from different types of backgrounds as well um which i think is pretty special um and yeah i i'm so appreciative of, of the community yeah you um i'm gonna link all of those in the caption or in the the description of this so that people can find cool. those resources as well because they're you. so important push i've been following for a while and i have to ask you because you, like you said, you said you never in a million years thought you would be openly grieving on social media. And I think, and I want to ask you this, 2017 is not that long ago, but it is in the grand scheme of how we've evolved on social media. And I got to tell you, I'm the same. I, I never in a million years would I think I would be this open about something so horrific. And, yeah. but I couldn't help it. How has the scene changed since TJ first died and now to now with the openness for people to talk about their grief, the acceptance of grief, the understanding, ha has it changed the yeah, landscape in the last five years? It has completely changed. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you, you mentioned that. Like, so even from like the evolution of like, I mentioned Kylie Hanish, mm -hmm. you know, Kylie talks very openly about when her son Norbert died, there was no one. So it was like, you're still, stillbirth is in the shadows, right? And over time obviously it started you know building awareness and then five years ago for me it started people i started seeing some people talk about it um but it what i didn't even share tj's picture first openly um until maybe actually actually i know for a fact it was like right after his first birthday um because i was it wasn't like I was embarrassed. No way am I embarrassed of my son. It was this protection that I had of not fully being ready to open him up to the world, right? Or to show him to the world for the possibility of at that time, like there were so many shamers. There were so many, once again, the gaslighting, right? So people that are trying to tell you you should be acting this way or that, or oh, how dare you share your dead son? It's like, uh, my yeah, my son is dead, but he was a alive before he was dead and he's adorable i mean hello and seriously you know and so um so one of the things that has empowered me and so many is um is to see other people feel that they can proudly share their children whatever way that looks like whatever capacity they have too and i really you know want emphasize that because so many of us we process so differently some process through advocacy like right front and center and that's all that they can talk about and that's great or some people might be grieving a little bit quieter and that doesn't mean it's it's not as loud um so it's you know it's you're seeing a lot more individuals now be able to share themselves right um or share on, on their terms um I do like within the past year to see more people feel like they can be a little dark humor, a little dark grief, griefy humor. It makes my soul soar a little bit more um, just to start seeing more of us. Right. And like, I think the exciting, well, the thing that I feel so proud about is when I connect with someone else and they say, I, I don't feel alone. I don't feel so much like an alien, right? I don't feel like, I mean, it's still lonely, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not as a, a isolating right. on a daily basis. 
I'm happy to hear you say that you appreciate the dark humor because I think in a sense, you're basically just saying, I appreciate those who embrace their own way of grieving, mm-hmm. their own way of coping. Mm-hmm. We are not a group that judges. We're not ones to say, you're doing this right, you're doing this wrong, which is crazy because right after the death of your child, you kind of go, am I weird? Am I crazy? Am I not doing this right? Am I going to get judged by my own new community on how I do this? And it almost is stifling and it keeps you from ever taking one foot in front of the other and continuing moving forward. So I'm so grateful that you are one of the OGs that has come out and said, this oh my gosh. Is, okay, you're not even, no, you're not in five years is yet, but still you're one of those that's like, hey, it's okay. And you know what's okay? How you want to grieve, how you yes. choose to handle this. Yes. You know, Catherine, I think it's, I also do want to point, like it goes back to life work, right? So this is, even sometimes I'm like, oh, I know, I know I'm on someone's bad list of, you know, grieving parent because I use strong verbiage for me that's what works for me I don't soft verbiage for for me does not resonate so my son didn't pass Mm -hmm. he died Mm -hmm. and so things like that I know I I irk some people but those aren't my people and that's okay um but going back to you know I think I I'm gonna send you one of my first like posts I think it was three years it was okay we've been in the pandemic three years um dear Abby there's some of these old school people that drive me nuts. So dear Abby, about three years ago, shamed this. I think it was, I think it was an aunt or, or it was, it was, it was a parent that had someone die and they were talking, they highlighted, um, or someone wrote into her, Oh, um, my aunt is taking too long to agree or to, to get over, um, the death of her son or something like that. And dear Abby just laid in and, and said, Oh, that's, they need to get a therapeutic help. Like all, like she needs to see a therapist and, get on some medication and get over it long story short that's when i said no way we're i'm not going to be quiet and that's when you know three years ago we started seeing more and more people and we really demanded dear abby to try and um have any type of recognition or remorse of like the awful things that she said but it was it was a good it was like a a good like four three months I would say that like a lot of us were just trying to go after her but the whole point of me even bringing that up is there's still this old world mentality of what grief should look like and it it now we are not going to be quiet it's like this momentum that is building we are not going to be quiet and let the old world the old people the old mentality of what grief looks like to stay in a box because we're mm-hmm. not we're not going to be in a box anymore no. yeah and i i completely completely see that i completely understand that there's no moving on from this there's coping and moving forward in the best yes. way we possibly can yeah. and i think and tell me what you think on the flip side of that you know, I think there's also people who who wear their grief as who they are, as their sorrow, as who they are. They identify with crushing, debilitating sadness. And that is their way of dealing with their grief. And I think trying to fix those people, that's not up to us to do that fix. I'm putting air quotes. Um, we can't fix a griever. They they have to choose how they want to feel. They have to choose how they want to pr- keep moving forward. So on the flip, you know, a lot of people say, um, you should be over this. You should move forward. You should get therapy. You should feel better, blah, 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 blah. I've actually experienced more of, you don't seem like you're grieving hard enough. And that has been a really interesting take on it on this whole situation have you seen this as well on that flip side of yeah maybe we aren't sad enough because we have humor yeah so a hundred percent i mean it's and it it goes back and forth i think it also depends on who you are interacting with at that time and like how you're interacting with them right so someone can assume someone like you i mean there's there's a handful of different assumptions people can make oh my gosh she's doing this podcast and out and trying to be and being funny because you're not trying you are funny you're just being yourself right and there can be those assumptions similar to um well, and, and with that, it's the assumption of people think that you should be grieving a certain way. And that's not the case. It's not the case. 
mm-hmm. you can you can be out publicly and smiling and laughing and be screaming inside so you you can be smiling and laughing and screaming inside and that's important for people to realize i even remind that to my husband sometimes of the um or or it could be also the other way around like you can be you know sad and then also laughing in in the span of like a minute yeah right and so like most recently um explained to my husband after tj's death like i was or birthday excuse me um in may that i was really upset because the the actual day of his birthday was didn't go according to plan and i was upset and was with his siblings and they wanted to do something else and afterwards um you know i was explain my my son was like oh or my husband was like um you know you need to try and be a little happier i was like who's saying i'm not happy even though i'm upset you know it's like we can and sometimes you need to remind your partner um you know that you can hold different emotions at multiple times and you have to remind them that you can process differently than them um not always not not everyone has that that challenge but for me it has been pivotal for me and my husband to um always remind each other that we grieve differently yeah i heard someone say that sometimes grief is inconvenient and i thought that was really interesting that there it's okay to sometimes say i cannot grieve right now i need to do something else. I need to go and do this, or I need to do that, whatever the reason is, and just say, I'd like to honor my grief the best way I can. And right now is not the best way to do that. And I have to save this for later. And I thought that was a really interesting statement. And it may not have been from someone whose child died. It may have been from somebody, anybody who grieves though, loved tremendously. So I take some, all these, this grief advice sometimes just because I like to hear different perspectives, but I thought that was a really interesting way of thinking about it. And, you know, do I want to cry hysterically sometimes? Absolutely. Can I do it right at the second? Probably not sometimes, you know? So it's okay to say, Brody, I love you. I, I miss you. I remember you. I'm honoring you. But right now I cannot mourn you and you can keep moving forward. And, and that's okay to do that too. And to, yeah. to find that happy, medi- happy, geez, that middle ground, that balance yeah. is, is really helpful to say, yeah. I can have my elation, my elated times, but I can have my dark down times as well and understand and recognize both of those and honor both of those feelings, I think is really important for people to understand and yeah. to not put that much pressure on you either. No. And then I think another part of that is, is when you also find comfort to, um, for your best response to the individual that's saying something to you, like someone that says something to you, Oh, are you sure you're okay? Like you're not crying. Right. You know, you navigating through what your response is, right. And saying it in a way that feels good for you in that moment, because the reason why I mentioned that is because so much of our life after they die is people saying stuff to us constantly, constantly, and you navigate through the responses that you can provide back and you, and that evolves, your responses evolve. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm sure you have found different ways to respond back when people say that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you got to shut it down sometimes and not, you know, don't want your coaching sometimes and you have to do it in the nicest way possible. But at some point you just say, I'm not in the right space for this sort of advice right now, but thank you. Um, And I want to ask you, because I know that we're talking about a lot of the aftermath. We're talking about the grief. We're talking about what happens next after death. You're very involved in prevention. That's what pushes, right? So I want to circle into that and ask what does that look like for you yeah. and what are you advocating for right now? Because if you know your baby has died and you're listening, you're probably looking for answers or you never got answers. You have no idea what could have been done and you probably blame yourself tremendously. And this is a massive part of the aftermath of stillbirth and baby death. So I want to ask you, what are you advocating for as far as preventative measures right now? Yeah. I'm, thank you so much for, for asking. So um, so first off, there's over 23,000 stillbirth deaths, um, a year, and that number most likely will 
uh, once we finally get like the recap of, of the past two years, at least, it probably is higher than 23,000 because that, that number was right before the pandemic. And the reason why I mentioned that is because the pandemic has really significantly affected um, the care of, um, of birthing partners. So what we found in our research um, is that a handful of stillbirths are preventable. Um, and what that essentially means is there could have been certain practices that were in place to help prevent certain things from happening. So I found out um, within the past year, I was finally ready to get the, the data um, uh, and send my pathology report out to Dr. Hybe Kleiman, who is a placental specialist um, out in, um, in Connecticut here. And I sent him all of um, our data and we found out that um, TJ had a small placenta. He was in the four percentile, uh, the fourth percentile of his placenta. So essentially that means he was growing small and his uh, placenta shut down so the, the placenta is the lifeline the life support um for uh for your child and um what the type of care that we have right now for a birthing partner when you go to the hospital and you do your your scans every single every four weeks or so so on and so forth um they do not measure the placenta so a small measurement of called the estimated placental volume um scan could have determined that he had a small placenta and they could have acted quicker or recognized that we have to monitor the placenta and his body size um, every time that I came in. Um, unfortunately, during my care, I was not informed the importance of kick counting as well. So I wasn't aware that there should have been uh, monitoring, additional monitoring that I should have done. So. Um, what we have found is um, through Dr. Harvey, Harvey Kleiman and a handful of different uh, doctors that we have partnered with um, that we have to, we have to as the country uh, push for um, awareness on preventable stillbirth. So that's really educating our birthing partners of kick counting. So we've partnered with Count the Kicks, which is um, a fantastic charity as well, where it's a free app that you can download and you can use that um, in your um, in, in your pregnancy to determine what your child's normal is. Um, and of, of course, you know, unfortunately, right now, we're most likely talking to people that have experienced child death of some sort. So that wouldn't be very helpful to talk about kick counts, but maybe that's something for a subsequent pregnancy that we highly recommend. Um, but really the, the big piece of, of trying to have a better understanding of why your child possibly died could pos could help you in the subsequent pregnancies if you would if you were interested in, in pursuing that route or if you can. Um, so I highly, highly, highly recommend Dr. Harvey to have some answers. Um, he has helped so many of us find reasons to why our children died um, because most the, most instances we were not given the why um, behind why our child died um, and i'll make sure to give you all of his information so that you can link yeah. it in the notes as well i actually have it <laughs> i oh, sent per, oh, i sent brody's to dr Kleiman too i uh uh and <sighs> Yeah, I, I got results back from whatever, wherever they sent his placenta from the hospital. Yeah. Um, and I'm so happy you mentioned him um, th and sent him to Dr. Kleiman um, and said, I just, I need more answers. And yeah, it came back that yeah. Brody's placenta was in the second percentile. And I had absolutely no idea that that was a thing. No idea. Zero. And oh, correct. We didn't, we don't even know. And the yeah, counting of the kicks, it. they don't ask you in your appointments. So I was just no. researching and found that 10 kicks an hour is actually not that accurate. It should be the yeah. characteristic kicks of your baby. And if they change, Correct. you need to go and ask some more questions. And 100%. it's unbelievable to me that this is not part of a conversation before this happens. And um, we did yeah. the meeting with Dr. Kleiman. And I want to ask you something, because when I tell people about 
this conversation I had with him and getting, and I'm putting air quotes again, answers as to what was associated. And they always use the word associated. They won't say cause for some reason associated with Brody's death. People usually ask me, do you regret getting answers? So how did you feel about getting such a specific reason or cause of or association with TJ's death? That's a really great question. So it took me, I do want to preface that it took me four and a half years to reach out to him. Four okay. and a half years. I wasn't ready at the time. At the time, and at, at the time, um, we did have our pathology reports looked at at the specialists at the hospital, but she, we, we didn't find any answers. They, she just said, unfortunately, this happens. And, I'm, oh and it just didn't feel right to hear that. Um, at that time, you know, I just, I, I, I registered that, but it just didn't feel right. And um, now for, after that, four and a half years later, receiving that information, it made me angry. It made me angry. It made me sad. It made me angry. Um, and then it shifted me to, really find um the the way to just i i had to make sure to amplify measure the placenta as much as we can measure the placenta is a group that works very um intimately with um dr Kleiman to help create that further awareness of the estimated placental volume scan and really just provide information for birthing partners so that they can um be supported um, before they have any type of, you know, loss. Um, do you think that we, in our lifetimes, will see anything change as far as ACOG and getting it to be kind of standard procedure for, for during pregnancy? I think we have, we've had, a we meaning push, we, so let me take a, a few steps back. So we work, we at PUSH, our group of, it's a cha- charity um, of all volunteers. So I am one of the co-directors of communication, um, and we have a handful of different um, birthing partners that are uh, we're tired and we're demanding change. That's really what it comes down to. We're demanding change and accountability for from ACOG. So there's um, three of our um, team leads have had a few conversations with ACOG. It's taking a while for them to understand um, they, they understand the severity of 23,000 stillbirth deaths, but the, the big change or the big challenge right now that, that they see is understanding the what to do next with the information that, they, that is received from the estimated placental volume scan. Dr. Harvey Kleiman has just, he is continuing to work with us and measure the placenta to continue giving them data, continue giving them all of his, you know, research, um, which is so essential to saying, okay, if you don't believe us, this is, this is the data. This is what it looks like right now. This is what our recommendation is after from a process. We're also seeing that um, this, this, this past year, three months ago, three months ago, we, um, launched our first rainbow clinic here in Metro New York that was partnered through, through push. So we were able to uh, partner with Mount Sinai to um, really to launch the first ever rainbow clinic that is dedicated at um, decreasing the stillbirth rates across the country. So that's pretty phenomenal. So that in my mind is change. Mm-hmm. They, that um, clinic itself is working hand in hand with Dr. Um, Kleiman to make sure that those are the processes that they take. So if we start seeing more and more doctors and practices say, you know, ACOG, they're going to go over here. If they're not going to operate as quickly as we need to, we will take it upon ourselves to move forward Mm -hmm. and implement the change. Um, So we are seeing change. It's just not at a fast pace, Um, but ACOG it's, it's, it will happen. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of when. Well, I've noticed that it's becoming a little bit national news coverage lately. I've seen several mainstream media outlets talking about it. And you are just featured in USA Today, right? 
Yes, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I was uh, well, so excited you know, about I, that. I should say that I have like a few lines, but you know, my counterparts were all featured. There's there's about six of us that were in that article, and then also on their partner um, network, Lohan um, had some other. So yeah, thank you for recognizing. That. How did that come about? Did they approach you about that? So we have, so, so yes. And uh, so, yes. So we have a um, director of uh, PR. And so she um, happened to connect with one of the um, journalists and was telling us about telling them about, you know, the epidemic that is stillbirth and um, uh, provided more information on, you know, Dr. Harvey Kleiman and what he's doing and um, shared a little bit more about background about our families. And they were interested in taking, um, taking a story and making a story about uh, just stillbirth awareness as, as a whole in New York. And this is about the third, third or fourth um, article that we have connected with. And I think to, to the whole point, Catherine, is we now are starting to see more networks talk about stillbirth, which is essential to address the epidemic that is stillbirth and to start seeing change. Absolutely. And thank you yeah. so much for being somebody who's leading and championing this. It's so important. I mean, I know even people, myself included, I didn't know stillbirth was a thing. I didn't know. Yeah. And I, and, and, going through pregnancy, never once thought it was a potential outcome, let alone that there's so many different factors that contribute to it. I mean, I, ticking off, you know, things like cord, cord accidents and small placenta is probably, I think was one of the biggest ones that contributes. Yes. And how can we be looking at all of this and saying, oh, oops, you're one of six or 160, yes. you know, you're one of 160. I'm like, that's a really big number, guys. Is it just yeah. me? You that know? drives me crazy. It's, it's bigger insane. than SIDS. It's big, bigger than fires. It's bigger, you know, when you take it bigger than drownings. And so like when you start peeling back the onion, it's, it is the number one cause of death. And so that's why it's like, you can't look away from that. Now, let me ask you something. And I don't know what, I don't know, but do you feel that you've gotten any pushback for trying to dig and get answers and change? Because I have been told yeah. that stillbirth is an actual mistake that should never have happened. Yeah. And they want to cover their tracks sometimes in that you may never get answers because they don't want you to know the answers. Do you feel yes. there's some level of that? Yes. Oof. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. And then there's, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of different layers to this. I wish it was just, it, I, I wish we could address it just, you know, head on, but it's not, yeah. it's, this is, there's, there's a lot here. You have some well-known um, uh, practitioners that refuse to see um, estimated placental volume scan, for instance, as a, um, as, as an area that could potentially be life-saving. Oh my goodness. Why? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Just... So that's why it's, um, the more that we're able to have doctors, like two of our, our board members, Dr. Forskew, um, and Dr. Harvey, um, actually three, and then Dr. Stone at uh, Mount Sinai to be able to do these scans and show people the results, the life-saving results. It's, it's essential for that. But um, it gets me angry. It gets all of us, a handful of us fired up when we hear, oh, that's not enough information. We need more data. Um, it drives us nuts. Yeah. I mean, it, it could really does. save more, right? It really could. So let me ask you, if someone approaches you and says, how do I get involved? How can I help? Thank you for asking. What, what do you tell them? So um, I would say we have, uh, we always need help. So we, and, and help can be something as easy as resharing a post. And I, I do want to emphasize that because the bandwidth as a griever is, you know, just, it depends on a daily basis. It can change up, you know, all the time. So even something as simple as go to pushpregnancy.com or at um, 
on Instagram, as well as our Still Counts page and follow us. That's the first way to help. Um, then the second part is to look on, um, look and engage with us and like posts and share them as, as you feel they resonate. And then the third, if you would like to actually help um, with any projects um, that we may have, you can actually just go on to pushpregnancy.com uh, um, and there's actually a little um, icon that you can click as like to join us as a change maker and we have um, about eight different directors that are we're all pulled in so many different directions of working on all these different projects and we need help because we're doing this all um, on top of you know our jobs or our life and um, so please go there and when in doubt you can always just send me um, a message and I will connect you to the right person. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to post all of those links, all of those websites in the description of this podcast. So you guys can find where to go. Um, and I, you know, I could talk to you forever, but <laughs> I'm sure this is just the first of many conversations, but, um, it definitely is. <laughs> I just want to, one more question ask you, you know, I know a lot of, People who are experienced who have experienced um, baby death have reached out to you. What do you typically say, or what would you want to leave the listener with at this moment? Um, whether it's how to cope, or how to do day to day, or just any piece of anything that you would want to leave them with. I think that the biggest thing is, you know, your love is eternal, and your um, you are the one that can determine what your love looks like and sh share how loud you want to share that out right so you don't have to uh share your child as loud as the other griever right you can you're the one that can determine that and you should never feel like you have to um, water yourself down. That's my favorite quote. Don't water yourself down. Please don't. And you can be unapologetic about your grief. Um, and the one, the one last thing I do want to invite anyone that has the capacity is in December or in October 15th of this year, we're going to have what we refer to as the big push out on in DC. So for those that can travel to DC, um, or who would like to be um, to host their own little um, event um, in your city, we are gonna have a big walk called the Big Push. And we're gonna hopefully walk around with uh, 23,000 um, strollers and demand uh, change and accountability at the front steps of the Capitol. So we'll That's be there. such a big thing. And, and if you're not in the DC area and can't travel, check your local area. We have one here in Atlanta as well. Um, it's uh, national still stillbirth and infant loss awareness day it is the 15th, but the entire month is to recognize the babies that have died. And uh, there's probably something going on. And if you want some help figuring out how to, how to get it together, ask one of us or yes. contact Dominique and see what you could do in your own local community. Again, if you, if you can, and you have the, the bandwidth for that. That. Um, but there are resources to um, give you some direction on if it's something that you'd like to do or something that you'd like to participate in. And I can't thank you enough for not only being such a voice for all of us and for starting these movements and, and championing all these change and just all the wonderful words that you have. And I appreciate you being so open and having the, just a conversation and I hope that we can continue this conversation. Of course, I can talk for days. You know, we love talking about our kids. So <laughs> really do. And you're in trouble now because I will send you really ridiculous Please, memes. I expect those memes. <laughs> they all send us memes. The we memes get us by. <laughs> That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.